0: Anyway, Heather uh, said, Why, you know, we were talking about, you know, why does God let bad things happen to good people? It came up on her uh, Instagram story or something. And I just thought and told her, I was like, Heather, I know why. And she was like, Why, Nick? It's like, because of suffering. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because we're supposed to suffer. And suffering why are we supposed to suffer why would god allow that to happen because we're transforming we're bec- we're supposed to become something here and you know you could get real theological about it and whatever you think whatever you think i'd love to hear your thoughts on why we're here and why the universe exists but just very briefly i think it's because we're bec- we're supposed to become something greater than we would have been if we stayed in the garden okay even if you think about it symbolically, I don't think it's just symbolic, I think it's and I don't think if something's symbolic it diminishes its, its value because there's all these different layers of truth and the most true things, all the layers of truth come together at once and they just become like the most concrete thing spiritually and physically and in as many ways as possible anyway, what I'm saying here is God lets bad things happen to good people because suffering and because suffering is transformation we're becoming something hello everyone welcome to the creative underground In this episode we're going to be talking about the eternal process. Welcome to the underground. What is the creative process? What is it? What does it mean? Okay, so Obviously a big theme in my life, if you don't know me, if you don't know me, a big theme in my life is the creative process. And we're gonna talk about what that means on, on, I'll try to hit every level that I can when when we're gonna investigate it because it's it's just one of those foundational ideas. And uh, I think it's more significant than people think. I think it leads ultimately to the very end, to the very, think about history, at the very end of history wherever this is going in the eschaton the creative process is going to be involved and um yeah so i'll i'll take you through the creative process just people's base understanding my base understanding how it was introduced to me process art we're going to talk about some process art that's more about the journey than the destination we're going to go on the micro level and macro levels of the creative process tease that out a little bit that's that's three number four we're going to I'm going to talk about how you are a process. So get excited. Finally, uh, we're going to talk about heaven or hell and the process. So buckle up. Uh, I say buckle up a lot, I got to use a different metaphor. So get it together. We're going to talk about the creative process. <clears throat> okay, first, the base understanding of the creative process. I was introduced to it, of course, by Lane Riser back in 2013. Some of you may know that story. Uh, if you don't know that story, I tell the whole story. When you go to NickShermanDesign.com, uh, the first two videos that co- co- show up on the homepage of my uh, artistic journey and the guys that were in Seamar and the cult with me, and, and I talk about what happens to your art when you die and what I do daily, what kind of art I make daily. you got to check that out. But the creative process, um, you know, i think it's it's kind of like this you set up lane was big into this our creative process teacher in 2013 you set up a a series of steps and those steps help you to make the art freely without thinking how you're going to make the art maybe that's a, a simple way of explaining it so like you know like a factory like a factory we'll think of cold uh uh, metal analogies, engine-like analogies, very lifeless, very inorganic. We're going to think of steps, okay? Lane always had this idea of letting the process lead, it seemed like. You know, we'd take three hats, we'd put uh, a noun and a verb and an adjective on on different pieces of paper, put them in three different hats, pull them out, and we'd let a, a, a creature emerge from that prompt, however it happened. You know, whatever we got, we were stuck with, with no, no matter how goofy, and to further emphasize the process, we would keep ideating on that really stupid idea, and that real like mine was house eating pointy toes. That Pat's horses. There was something else in it. It was a house eating pointy toes. That Pat's horses. What are you supposed to do with that? Well, that wasn't the point. The point was the journey, developing an idea. And Lane, I think, was trying to show us that if you take something through the creative process fully, you can you, something very interesting emerges. From it, um, you need a process. This is very important. You, you won't write, you won't make your art, you won't start that business if you don't know the steps it takes to get there. And you don't got to know all the steps perfectly, but you got to start putting yourself in that formation every day. You gotta you gotta show up, right? This there's this idea of you show up and you try to do something, and the next day you try to do another thing. And pretty soon you'll see what things to do and what things not to do. And there you go. Your process is developing. And a result is going to come from that. Uh, Gustave Flaubert, who wrote um, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, uh, he had this idea that he makes his life really boring so that his art can be violent and expressive. And what he's trying to articulate there is about the process. You set up these steps, these mechanisms, these inorganic, like, put me in a box it's not very, it, it's just not very compelling sometimes, but the result that comes from that sometimes is an electric charge. And you'll feel that the more you put yourself through that process, you'll feel the freedom of just knowing what of kind of art you're trying to make, um, what the steps are to get there, just aiming for that, and then letting your mind be free of what kind of results can take place. You know, it's something like that. Uh, okay, so that's the creative process and it's in its base form we can talk about process art some people the the art making is more about the journey than the actual result that's a cliche of cliches but you know sometimes cliche things are true they're at the they're underneath of everything and they stick around because there's something fundamental to them about our existence so don't discount them okay uh sitting and thinking well that's i'm reading directly from the screen from my notes nick don't be dumb uh <clears throat> One time I was at my apartment on Fifth Street and I was making this collage of pieces for the cream of the crop. First time I entered cream of the crop back in 2018. And uh, it's a bunch of pieces of paper stuck to wooden boards that are cut up into different shapes and then re-screwed together. And I paint over top of that. I just threw it all at. I just threw the kitchen sink at this art that I wanted to make because I wanted to express. And I remember sitting and thinking and making that and being like, This feeling that I have right now of making this and watching myself almost from the outside making this in my bedroom, right next to my bed, all I have is a bed and a desk in the room, and the the creaky hardwood floors and and natural lighting on my second story loft apartment, I remember thinking, this, with music blaring, this is more interesting to me than even what the end result is going to be. And that's one of, you know, one of those revelations about the process. It's just like, this is it, this place. People always wonder what kind of artists they're going to be, what art means and why they should do it. Well, I knew in that moment why I was doing it, why it mattered to me. I was in the process, this flow place, and uh, it felt so deep. Whatever that is, I encourage you, if you've had that feeling with something, continue to pursue that because it's going to lead to very good places. Hopefully, unless the thing that you feel really good doing is super evil then you know this is complicated all right i'll try to continue to explain in townhouse a4 my freshman years of college we made art before we even made art all right we made a process we just played that's kind of what it is the play state you know you got to loosen up a little bit just kind of do some loose associations and someone yells out one thing and then someone riffs on that and when someone has people have wit battles and they're joking they're engaging in the play you know they're just they're having fun blowing off steam engaging the play loose association right um yeah, that's what we do when we go to Kroger's. We sometimes we'd play our own music on the way to Kroger's, like we'd sing and in uh, June would just have the ukulele in the back and we'd come up with these songs just riffing, and we'd we'd jump on the furniture and we'd dance and we'd just be done. And we were playing, we were in the process. That was even before we made art. Then we made art for like that big show at Stump Standard, C Sucks, and um that was the same thing that As cool as the the end result was, because we covered the inside of that, of Stump Standard Studio and Gallery. We covered the inside of it, every inch with Sharpie and spray paint and all kinds of things. Um, As cool as that end result was, it was that month that we spent there, every single night almost. Every single night just uh, pouring ourselves out, living in that art-making story. We were in the artist story then. 300 days of Dan there's a, there's a piece of process art that uh, that I just posted on my Instagram actually you can look at that um, but for 300 days I did these five minute thumbnail sketches one thumbnail sketch a day and I just wanted to see what emerged out of that if you just take five or ten minutes where if you just took five or ten minutes of your day and did something artistic that you wanted to do make a little thing you wanted to make where could that lead? Well, it, it le- led to three cool canvases that I submitted in the 2020 Cream of the Crop. Um, it was a process piece and it was really fun. People talked about it afterwards and, you know, it was cool. Okay, another interesting one in the Bible Ezekiel, Ezekiel, the minor prophet Ezekiel lays next to a small version of the city that's going to be destroyed in 40 days or something like that. I'm probably butchering this story. I'm so sorry, pastors out there probably butchering this story but he lays on his left side or his right side or something like that and he creates a little model version of the city out of mud and just lays it in the nook he's almost like spooning this little city and he just lays there in the dust for 40 days and that's a sign this is like this performance art piece as a sign of destruction to the city uh, right outside of the city he's just laying there with this little miniature version of the city and he's lamenting the city laying on his side That's that's art. That's process art. You see all kinds of crazy stuff. People document them knowing all day they're going to get shot in the arm with a 22. And yeah, this one guy would let people shoot, let his friend shoot him in the arm with a 22. And he just he documented what it felt like in the the anticipation of that all day long. And, uh, you know, just weird. And that's a profane example. Obviously, that's a profane example. I'm not encouraging people to do that. But that's the process walking on your knees around a pile of salt for eight hours a day. That was another piece of process art I uh, saw one time in a book or something. This guy, this one artist, you know, just, you know, that's probably really painful. But there's this pile of salt in the middle of the floor, and he's just walking on his knees eight hours a day. You know, that's kind of Ezekiel-like. That's biblical in its proportions of process art. What I want to say is that process also is like a micro level thing in our day-to-day lives in the mundane but it's a macro level thing too it's a meta thing the whole universe is a process but here we are with our little morning routine process and it's all patterns the process is all patterns and we see these over and over again okay and the patterns stack up from the littlest morning routine to all the way in the universe Uh, the universe is not a random occurrence I, you know, how could it be? It's two-patterned. Math is a pattern. Two sticks are always going to equal two sticks. You can say the two, st- the idea of the two sticks in numbers on paper are a human construct or something, sure. But we live inside of that ordered universe where two things are always two. It can't magically appear as a third thing. If two things can't magically become three things. You need another thing. You ha- You need one. You need that unit. And so there's like these forms behind everything that make everything concrete or something. Um, uh, people are interesting patterns as well that's what the idea of archetypes is from Carl Jung I remember watching the extremely goofy movie you guys like this movie where uh, Max Max is like going to college and uh you know his his dad Goofy of course is uh is loath to have him leave because it's going to be an empty nester and he goes out with it. <laughs> Max goes out with his two dumb buddies PJ and Uh, Bobby. And I remember watching Bobby specifically and being like, there's that class clown kind of guy. He's kind of, he kind of sticks his foot in his mouth a lot. And uh, um, he thinks he's a lot better with women than he is. And I'm like, there's, this is a certain kind of guy. I've seen this guy before, even in my friend groups, you know, and what is that about a person you've seen before, but it's not them? It's like, well, that's because there's a limited, maybe there's a limited number of forms of people, and everyone has their roles, and these kind of roles and patterns repeat in people. And that's weird to think about. Everyone's, you know, hopelessly unique in their own way, and everybody's also hopelessly cliche. That's why it's easy to make fun of people. It's easy to make fun of human. You should be able to laugh at yourself. You should be able to make fun of yourself, and hopefully, with uh, in a well-meaning way, poke fun at others toughen them up because we've all been here before in some weird way I, I don't mean necessarily in reincarnation or anything like that I, I I just mean like we are we are a process is what I'm saying and that brings me to my next point the fourth point that you you listener are a process you know here you are on earth and you're suffering and uh, you're trying to get somewhere and this is all going somewhere whether you try to get if you're not trying to get somewhere it's all going somewhere whether you get somewhere or not you are a process of posterity of your parents of society and and of your own somehow of your own spirit of your own decisions too, your own unique ness, your soul in you all of this is transforming you all of this is leading you to your potential and and it's going somewhere you are a process um as unarbitrarily as i can say that i actually just today me and heather were talking i run lots of my ideas by heather they're not my ideas because i'm a process and the ideas come from somewhere there's a limited amount of ideas and just like archetypes you know everybody puts their own little twist on things. There are real unique geniuses that discover like the idea of real relativity and stuff. Definitely. And we all matter. That's not what I'm saying when I say that nothing is original, but it's all part of this process is what I'm saying. Anyway, Heather, uh, said why, you know, we were talking about, you know, why does God let bad things happen to good people? It came up on her, uh, Instagram story or something. And I just thought and told her, I was like, Heather, I know why. And she was like, why Nick? like because of suffering why do bad things happen to good people because we're supposed to suffer and suffering why are we supposed to suffer why would God allow that to happen because we're transforming we're be- we're supposed to become something here and, you know you could get real theological about it and whatever you think whatever you think I'd love to hear your thoughts on why we're here and why the universe exists but just very briefly I think it's because we're beco- we're supposed to become something greater than we would have been if we stayed in the garden okay even if you think about it symbolically I don't think it's just symbolic I think it's I, and I don't think if something symbolic it just dis- d- d- diminishes its, it val- its value because there's all these different layers of truth And the most true things, all the layers of truth come together at once. And they just become like the most concrete thing, spiritually and physically. And in as many ways as possible. Anyway, what I'm saying here is God lets bad things happen to good people because suffering, and because suffering is transformation, and we're becoming something. And uh, this is why I love David Goggins. You know, I hate to be this guy that brings up David Goggins, but. I'm this guy okay it's because he's saying something really profound and, and just hear me on this he's easily caricatured because he's just this guy like rise and grind grind every day just get after it don't stop just grind but you, you should hear some of his more nuanced thoughts on things he he would say things like um, what would he say he said in order for me to find myself I had to put myself through the worst thing possible. I had to put myself through the worst thing possible a human being could ever endure. And why? Why? Because he knows that suffering transforms him, and he's just kind of intuitively figuring all this stuff out. He would say, you know, he doesn't read books, he reads his own book. The thing with Goggins, you gotta understand, some of the things he says sound stupid. I'm telling you, the things he says sound stupid because He's not that kind of educated. He's not like, he's very original. And so he says things like he reads his own book because what, because he's speaking almost symbolically he's saying that, that, uh, I'll give you another example. Okay. He says, in order for you to become, <laughs> he said, if someone asks him, no, this is what he said. He said, he tells kids, do you know who you are? He'll ask kids. If they want advice, do you know who you are? And he says that if they say they don't, if they don't know who they are, then he'll say, I can't tell you who you are because they need to go on a journey of suffering. And there is something about suffering that burns off like personas and constructions that you make and reveal a more authentic you. Now, I'm not saying that can't go badly because too much suffering can kill you. And sometimes suffering makes people bitter and warps them. But there's some there's some sort of like right response that happens if you suffer well, even if you suffer badly at first, but then you pull it together like moment a moment here and a moment there and you start to see why am I going through this? Well, I'm getting stronger and I'm learning things and I'm becoming something. And that's what Goggins is trying to say: is that we have a tool at our disposal, and it's something like the tool given to man in the garden with the with the apple of good and evil, and then the fall. It's something like uh, uh, just the sweat of your brow and the toil of the earth, and through that you'll be start to reveal your potential because your your uh, these things that are beyond you that are being imposed on you and inflicting pain, they are hardening you. And they are making you more aware of what the world is like. I know some people in my church that, man, if you just could recount the suffering that's come on their families and their children, and the things they've had to watch their ch- happen to their children, like the excruciating things they'd have to watch happen to their children, and uh, and they're just the kindest, sweetest people. And uh, that's because that's because of the suffering. And we try to avoid that. And we ask, why does God let this stuff happen? But that's why, because you're going to become something, Um, you know, come back to that. You come from a process of history. Even if you're a process, you come from a process of history. And that's why it's important to consider history carefully and not just discard it as something that has no value to you uh, or that is just outdated ideas. You come from those ideas. You're built by those ideas and they're in you. And there's the idea of rescuing you know rescuing your your dead father and uh when you go into books literature things that were written in ancient history or or before you you can start to understand what those fathers have fathers and mothers have to say to you and you can carry their message forward you can bring it out of the darkness and bring it forward with people uh and that helps them live on in some weird way that helps them live on and uh and you're just carrying it down the line you're continuing the process i think you're better for that when you do that one of my favorite clips that's from like the opening of this burial song actually it was the opening noah and i talked about it on episode two i just realized when i was writing down these points why i like that uh why i like that intro to the song so much uh it's from the movie ghost dog and it's got this ambient music in the background it's from the the electronic music producer, Burial. The song is called uh, Gutted. And the guy in the opening line, it's real, real dramatic, eerie music, and he says, me and him were both from different ancient tribes, and now we're both almost extinct. But sometimes you've got to stick with the ancient ways, the old school ways. You understand me. And man, every time I'd listen to that, it would hit me so hard. And it's because he's reaching back into the process. He's part of that ancient tribe. It made me want to be like, man, who? Are, what's my ancient roots? And how can I bring those forward and incorporate those into my life and become the strength of my fathers? Something like that, you know. Um, so this is all going somewhere. It started before you. You're carrying it on. You'll give it to your kids or your loved ones. So where is it going? That's the real question. And, you know, I keep coming back to these points because this is inevitably where it leads, but it's worth talking about because we don't think about it seriously. It's not concrete, but where it's not concrete. So we don't think about it, but we all are going to die. Okay. And this is all going somewhere. So where is it going? And my speculation, you know, is heaven or hell? Okay, now hear me out on this. okay, It's going to heaven or hell and just kind of reframe this idea for a second. Now, let me help you reframe this very offensive idea. I'm going to help you reframe it, okay? When someone tells you you're going to hell, I just heard this the other day, this is genius. The thing is is that is that you can go to hell. like you know and you know this if you lie, if you steal if you are dishonest you know you're dishonest with people you hurt people uh, that leads to such a dark place eventually even here in, on this earth it leads to a place where no one likes you and you don't even like yourself and it can lead to a kind of isolating and painful existential place that uh, you you do drugs right and you uh you steal from people in order to get the money for the drugs, and then people's trust in you is broken. They don't even know who you are anymore. You're becoming something that they can't even deal with. They literally can't even deal with. They got to get rid of you because you're inflicting too much pain on everybody. That's a that's a hellish place, and a more fundamental kind of Christian might tell you you're going to hell. There's a measure of truth with that. What they what they are intuiting is that there are certain things that can take you to such a bad place that that uh, it's like an eternal place. And if you take the lesson of what they're trying to say, and no doubt there's some people that say it just to be offensive, but there's something in it, okay? that What I'm trying to say is the actions that we perform here on earth will lead to a kind of heaven or hell. And, you know... I believe that even, even when you die, what you did in life carries over, carries over, there's some kind of judgment, I believe in a judgment, all right, the same, the opposite is true of hell, if you do really good things in life, you help people, you help everyone you can, you love people, you, uh, you work diligently so that you uh, can improve yourself and everyone around you, and you can uh, you know the high high tide rises all raises all ships right. You try to be that high tide. You can lead, You can make the world a kind of little heaven. You know I, I'll compare it just to what's going on in Portsmouth right now. What a beautiful thing for all these different entrepreneurs coming together, giving their gifts, giving their creativity. Lots of people volunteering their time. People making friendships. Sure, there's pettiness and there's you know. <laughs> If you want to take a really cynical view, you could just be like, "Oh, this is going to lead to gentrification in ten years, and then no one's going to be able to afford anything, and it just won't be like, you know." I hope, I hope that's not it. I hope it just continues to be a a tighter knit community, and we keep bringing this little slice of heaven to Portsmouth. Connor and I were talking about that in the last episode about uh, how you know Glockner can use its resources to do really meaningful uh, story building community building things here and that's like bringing a slice of heaven here this the garden city you know this idea of the garden city there's this book called the garden city from john mark comer uh which was given to me by uh maria allison dave allison's wife great read i really appreciate that from her um and the idea is that that what we do is going to matter for eternity, The things we're building now, we're actually building the kingdom of heaven somehow. Okay, so we, the ice, as the story goes, we fell out of the garden because we, we, we defied God, we ate from the, the fruit, the snake deceived us, and now we're in the world toiling, we're going through this process of formation. Remember, why does God let bad things happen? It's because we're trying to become something. And we might become something that's even greater than what we were when we were like gods in the garden. Not like God, but comparatively, I mean, we were probably glowing and like 10 feet tall and bronze and C.S. Lewis does a good job of describing like these pre-fall people in his space trilogy. Um, That's what I'm trying to say. At Disciple Hour at church, Ryan was getting on me saying that I was trying to talk about giants and I was like Stephen Furtick, but... (laughs) <laughs> yeah Ryan's funny bro. I like that guy anyway uh you know, so we're going towards the garden city. I think that's what we're doing. we can use our gifts for things to matter eternally. I used to think that uh human potential was always at odds with the gospel of grace and saving faith, but I don't think it has to be I don't think it has to be and uh, let me let me tease that out just for a second um. You know, we're supposed to imitate Christ. We're supposed to imitate him. And if you believe Christ is defini- definitionally the savior, like the the highest archetype, I'm not just turning, trying to turn Christ into a literature archetype, okay? I think he is the archetype, metaphorically, uh, uh, as well as empirically, like he was actually here and lived and died and is the God-man. Okay, I, I believe it on every single level, all right, literally and metaphorically. And if we're supposed to imitate him, then that's going to put us on a necessary path of transformation. The only thing with, you know, my, my guy J.D talks about this with me and, and I agree, it's a fair point. One thing with Protestantism is that like the gospel of grace and of saving faith is a is a beautiful is a beautiful doctrine, I think. And, oh man, we're getting into some deep territory here, but it's a beautiful it's a beautiful doctrine. And the thing is, is that it starts with faith, but it doesn't end with that. You know, faith without works is dead. And so uh, we shouldn't sit back. We should be on this process of formation and of transformation. We should be in this process, right? And we, at one point, In our church history just recently in the early 2000s 90s whatever however far this goes back we thought if we just threw off uh the religiosity and if it was just about jesus and it was just about relationship then it would be more authentic and in some ways maybe it was i don't know but the problem is is when you strip out the religion completely you strip out the liturgy you strip out the process and people aren't praying anymore or fasting or or uh, doing these kind of deeper spiritual pursuits, they're not being formed. And then everybody stays baby Christians drinking milk. You know, uh, this could, you know, Christ's words, take up your cross and follow me. Christ's words again, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to be more righteous than the Pharisees, something like that. And uh, maybe he was saying you're going to have to be more righteous than the Pharisees because the Pharisees are frauds. That could be it. But there's another way you could read it. And I'm going to say that to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be more righteous than the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like the religious of the most religious. You know, they were the sacred ones. They were the set apart ones. You know, they were the high, the, the big dogs. And so the, the disciples are like, Jesus, that's impossible, you know, right? I mean, like we can't do that. We, we can't live to that standard. And Christ probably was like, yeah, you can't because you need me in you. Christ needs to be in us. We need to be imitating the Savior. Um, You want the Savior in you. You want to invite that spirit in. Uh, because somehow, if we don't do that, then... Well, maybe it's something like, oh my gosh, I'm just thinking of this now. Maybe the reason why we invite Christ in, why that's necessary, like, okay, I thought human potential was at odds with the gospel of grace, but still we have to invite Christ in and we have to imitate him. So maybe it's about humbling ourselves to the sacrifice that Christ performed the fathers that came before us. He is the father. He's the one that came before us integrating that in us, uh, repenting and believing repenting of our, of our ignorance and our, uh, defiance to think that we could do it on our own without the the ancient Father, that is Christ uh, inviting him in so that we can move forward into our fullest potential and transform. I am not a theologian, I'm just speculating here, okay, because it's hard to it's hard to come to terms with like, you know, we need to show fruit to have our salvation, but but also uh, it's not done by fruit, it's done by the saving work and grace of Christ. Both of those things are true. That's the thing. Both of those things are true, and it's about the imitation, inviting him in, repenting, turning from our old ways, inviting him in, and moving forward in the transformation, having him push you along the path of transformation so that you can become like a blaze of glory in heaven, and God can use you in the city. God can use you in the city, in the new garden, and uh, I think that's what the process Is ultimately about what is the creative process well on one level it's about doing you on the on the lowest level maybe it's about um, getting yourself in order taking care of the obligations in your life doing the things you need to do to make a good life and uh, be good to the people around you secondly finding the thing that you're supposed to do and setting up Steps so that you can carry that out every day and, and get good at it and live up to your potential and deliver your gift to the world. And on the final level, it's about where this is all going, this big narrative story that we are in right now. That's what the creative process is ultimately leading to, is some new garden, I think, an embodied place, a real embodied place where we all actually have like, Things to gifts to give that we developed on Earth in this factory-like Earth, this process that we call Earth, uh, and so um, set up your process, start small, and who knows what we can become if we do that, uh, if we're aligned properly, if we invite the the Savior, the Christ, in the the uh, the unarbitrary Savior, like literally the one, you know, the turning point of history. From the center of the timeline, um, the person that we get our values from that are underneath everything in America, the idea that you have infinite worth in yourself, that that, you know, that's a Christian idea, the idea that you should love others unconditionally. um, You know what I mean? Without that humility of accepting that. how, How can we expect to? our gift into eternity i don't know i don't know that's what i'm thinking (laughs) so thanks for listening guys we went a lot of different places there if you have questions reach out to me um i'm trying to work through these ideas obviously i'm not um obviously i am not all-knowing so uh i'm trying to work these things out and i appreciate any dialogue you guys are are willing to have with that If you want to help this podcast succeed, give me a review, share it, um, find other stuff that I do at NickShermanDesign.com. This is Nick from the Underground, signing off.